What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. Yo, yo, on this episode of the Wedgecast, I'm hanging out with Adam Kale. Adam is the CEO and founder of an executive executive search recruiting firm called Harrison Gray here in Grand Rapids. He also has uh, kind of casually started his own leather company and really built a booming business there. He's got an amazing story. He's been helping college kids get jobs all the way to help executives get placed. He's a really, really sweet dude. He's down to earth. He's dealt with some tough things in life, but yet figured out how to actually add value to people and how to get out of that tough circumstance as well, too. So love his story. Love this podcast. Take a look. What's up? Adam, thanks for being a guest on the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So we're, uh, we're two uh, you know founders in the HR executive recruiting, all these different spaces, and we, we overlap. We're both in Grand Rapids, and I was just stoked to have you on the show, mainly because it's also so fun and refreshing to hear from another founder, another CEO, one in the same space, but two in general. And it sounds like that's kind of part of your past. You've been hustling and you've been uh, starting businesses your whole career. Is that right? Yeah. Well, so I actually started in, um, I started in the corporate space. I'd say um, when I was in undergrad, I kind of just fell into like an admissions role. And so I started recruiting students and making a hundred phone calls, you know, an evening after class and doing all that stuff. And I realized I was, had a natural inclination for talking to people uh, for, with a, with the standpoint of trying to recruit them to something or try to move them towards something. So um, after that, I was uh, offered a position in Colorado at Colorado State University. I started a global campus, which 
this is back in 08. So it's right when they first launched it. And so I came in there and just did admissions and had really good numbers again and moved up and became like a, in leadership at a really young, I was actually the only person on my team without a master's degree. And I was the only person, and then I was the manager of the team within eight months, right out of college. It was really interesting. That's a whole other story, but um, just, it was really good at, you know, making phone calls, connecting with people, figuring out what moves them, figuring out what motivates them, figuring out what they were trying to accomplish, providing value and uh, ultimately moving them towards, you know, taking classes with us. From there, I moved um, to- Can I, can I ask you a quick question on that? Yeah, please do. Yeah, so the, the whole idea of like finding out what moves people, did yeah. you, was that something you sort of always had in you or is that something that you learned to develop because the job required it? I think there's a little, I think the answer is both. I think I got better as it, better at it as the longer I went on and did it, but I've always had this ability to kind of, I don't know if the, if the word just intuition or just the ability to kind of read people really well. And I feel like that helped translate into, you know, with practice and with experience, hearing, hearing things they say, um, remember taking good notes, remembering what, what they're, you know, having good initial conversations up front to build rapport and also learn more about them before I try to sell them anything. And then, Hear, hear what they want to accomplish and then um, provide solutions to how we can, you know, make that happen. And so um, really relational sales process without, you know, people can all, everybody can tell when you're trying to sell them something for the most part. And so um, you could sell somebody something in a way where they feel really good about it or in a way they feel really awful about it. And so I try to do the, I try to do the former and not the latter. Right. So your focus is more on the optimistic, like try to convince something into some, like in a, in a positive light rather than, you know, don't do this or anything like that. Exactly. It's like, so when you go to like, so let's say your, your vehicle breaks down, right? This is a good example. So like your vehicle breaks down, you go to the, the repair, uh, you get your car repaired and you can have experience with like, Oh, you need this and this and this, and it's going to cost you $2,000. And this happened actually, that was with my boat a few weeks ago. And I felt I had to do it. I had no choice, but I called around and I found somebody that made me feel really good about the really good about doing. It. I felt more comfortable um, he was just more knowledgeable, gave me more insight other than here's what you have to have replaced. Here's the price. He was like, well, if we do it this way, we can maybe save some money here, but this will last you a long time. It's actually really good for your boat in the long term. So there was two really good examples of something that you're going to buy anyway, but you have two completely different experiences spending the same, almost the same amount of money for almost the exact same thing. Right? So it's this idea that you can really connect with someone and sell them something to make them feel really excited about it, even though they don't really, they probably would rather not spend the money rather than spending the money and feeling awful about it. So uh, there's, yeah. there's so much to be said for two different ways of selling things. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one of which is framing things as an optimistic, positive light. One is like in a very negative, like if you don't do this, here's the problem. And I yeah. think you're instantly creating people an environment that they like, don't, I don't know if it's lack of trust or if it's just this element of uh, all of a sudden, I feel like the worst is only going to happen with you. And so I, I totally, I totally resonate with that. I, I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah, man. I agree. Totally agree. So you learn your skill set. Oh, well, one other thing you brought up on that, you mentioned reading people. So uh, like you were also spending a lot of time on the phone. So you had to develop like subtle cues and just listening to people through cold calls. How, how'd you figure some of that out? Yeah. So I think in my experience, I mean, I love to talk and I love to be listened to and most people do like that as well. And so um, I've learned that the more, the less you say 
usually your, your buyer will tell you exactly what they want, how they want to be sold to if you listen. Um, an executive search, it's different than it is when you're recruiting students to a university, but it's the same kind of thing. It's, you know, here's what I'm looking if you're, if you're a candidate side, right? Here's what I'm really looking for an opportunity. Here's what I really need to make. Here's my skill set. But you might hear, but you might hear them say, but I really don't want to be micromanaged. I really want some autonomy and I want some growth opportunity. And those are the things that really drive people. So if you have a, if I have a client that's an awesome, if I have a client that's really good um, leader, a hands-off leader, and I know the company, you know, values promoting from within, it, I could probably sell that, convert that candidate at a lower price that they would have gone elsewhere because I know what really matters to them. And, um, you know, and I also know historically after, you know, after recruiting hundreds and hundreds of students and placing hundreds and hundreds of candidates, I know what students and candidates value more, right? Money doesn't, money at the end of the day, isn't the biggest value. It's, it's something else. And so um, it's usually, it's usually quality of life and advancement for growth and feeling like they're being invested and mentored. And so if that's a value that someone communicates to me, then I can easily, you know, find, I have clients all over the country that are that way. And so um, your buyer will tell you what they want and it's your job and it's my job to present that to them in a way that, you know, that makes sense to them and, and ultimately works for both parties. So. Yeah. I love that. So uh, talk to me about the transition from uh, college recruiting basically to the next step in life. Yeah. So I basically started moving up and I moved to a company called Jones International and they had, um, they had, they had an online university and had some other technology services. And I was over in a short period of time. Um, I came in as a manager and I sh- in a short period of time overtook their retention units, their reporting units and their like records units. But over 300 people below me and I was responsible for 47 million, 48 million in revenue. And I was 25, 26. Um, and so there's where I really learned. Um, I learned a lot. I learned the most I've ever learned there. And it wasn't, I wasn't selling anything really. I was leading and I was mentoring employees. And I had a boss that the president of our company who really, really took a, took an interest in me and really it spent two full years just completely mentoring me, basically breaking me down to my, to, you know, the studs of who I am and kind of built me back up as a professional. Um, because I was sloppy. I had a lot of flaws. I, I still do, but he, he helped me see things that I couldn't see myself. No one had ever taken that time to invest themselves in me and invest that time in me, I'd say. And then, um, you know, he really taught me a lot about leadership. And so when I, you know, long story short, I went through some life changes and uh, moved from Denver back to Michigan where I'm from, from the, the Detroit area, but I didn't want to live in Grand Rapids. And I wanted to do something outside of corporate life because I just got tired of the you know, the rigmarole, tired of, you know, the politics, tired of working really like 80 hours a week for a $10,000 raise every, you know, six to 12 months. So I just kind of was like, I am talented. I can, you know, I can make more money doing something else. And that's how I kind of got into executive search. But I have to, I talk about that piece of my career because I wouldn't be able to run a company if I never, if I didn't have that experience, because it taught me so much about the P&L, leadership, HR, um, you know, hiring people, terminating people, um, motivating people, managing people, metrics, KPIs, expectations, you know, plans, like uh, improvement plans, performance plans, termination, like, you know, just doing things where you can, you know, operate a company really successfully. And I was able to do it in a, where I had all this, I was responsible for a lot of revenue, which I always hit. 
uh, and we turned things around. But I also was mentored by somebody who's done it before for really, really, really made like this guy was number two at orbits for a long time. So, um, you know, I got to learn from one of the best and the best people I could have learned from. And it's paid off dividends um, for me at Harrison Gray Search and the, and the, what I do now. So, yeah. So on the whole mentorship side of things, I have been very blessed personally with some incredible mentors who've taken me under their wing. And so from your perspective, you, you had that. And yep. what I'm curious is, like, do you believe that that mentor sort of picked you because even like broken down to your ability to have a good conversation with them and probably be interested in listening to them. And the reason why I ask it in that sense, is like you hear these amazing stories of a mentor who took a mentee under their wing and the mentee bloomed and flourished and did all these amazing things. Yep. It, it's not that they just got lucky. They sort of handpicked some of those worth their time. And so you talked about being, you know, a, you know, I, I forgot what you did. Uh, sloppy or whatever in your career, yeah. But they saw yeah. obviously much more to you than just that. And so, what do you think yeah. you presented to them that all of a sudden they felt like they're, that that was worth it? Uh, there, there was two situations. There was two things that happened. Um, the first is that I was in a meeting, um, and he was sitting in. On, he was new to the company. He was sitting on random like leadership meetings to learn about the organization and just to listen. And I. In one meeting, I guess I impressed him with the questions that I had asked and the solutions that I had presented, not knowing that I, you know, I, I didn't, I knew he was in the room, but I didn't really, I actually had re- resigned from that role. I was going to a different company uh, at that time. And I, so I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I was working hard, but I wasn't as invested as I probably would have been if I was still, you know, planning on staying there. And I also didn't care that he was in the room because um, I was on the way out. So like, if he likes me or whatever, but I still wanted to do a good job. And then after that, like a couple of days later, um, I walked in his office and I was walking by his office. I was, had no plan to do this, but I just walked by and I turned around, knocked on his door and said, hey, I'm Adam. I'm leaving in a few weeks um, for another role, but I want to, I want, if you want me to give you any candid feedback or I've been in this space for about, you know, five years now, I can give you some insights as to what I'm seeing. And I've worked for some of our competitors, so I know what they're doing. Um, so if you want, if you want to know, you know, pick my brain, feel free. And he was like, come on in right now and shut the door. So I did that and we spent 45 minutes talking. And by the end of that conversation, he offered me more to stay and work directly for him right there in that meeting. Um, And I think a lot, like, what if I never stopped, you know, and he referenced that meeting that I was in, that he was in. He's like, you really impressed me in that meeting. And then this conversation really impressed me. I'm going to offer you X to stay here, be like, be basically like my special assistant, which lasted all of three months. And he put me in charge of a department I didn't want to be in charge of. And that's, but it was really good for me, but, uh, you know, but he, that conversation helped me stay. So, um, so that's, I think, I think like I put in some work to show him that I was interested in progressing and he saw, he saw something in me that I probably didn't see in myself. Um, but I, you know, I think some things had to definitely fall, fall together nicely for it to work out. Yeah. That sort of answers this, uh, ongoing thesis I've had about the statement, uh, how can I help? So if I were to ask you that, or you were to ask me that, if if I ask you the question, how can I help? It's not really your job to spend a ton of time thinking about how I can help you, especially if I'm trying to impress you, right? But you walked into that meeting and you said, here's what I can do. Here's what I can offer. You can sort of take it or leave it. Are you interested in that? And regardless of what else he was thinking of before you walked in the room, that alone, like won him over job offer, all that out of nowhere. And so yeah. I, I, I love the fact that you didn't walk in there and you're like, well, if there's anything you need, 
you know, let me know. But it was literally like, yeah. this is what I can offer you. Take it or leave it. And I, I yeah. there's so much power in that. I agree. And it's a similar con- – and this is, some, this is not off topic, but it's a little off topic, but it's the same idea that um, when, some, like, when something – this is a pet peeve of mine. I've never thought about it until someone pointed it out to me. But like when something bad happens to somebody and you want to help them, you always say – most people say, if there's anything I can do, let me know, right? And it's set out of a good intention, like your parent, one of your parents die, or you lost a pet, or your kid's really sick, or your spouse is really sick. If there's anything I can do, let me know. That does nothing but put more onus on the person that is in, that is in pain or is struggling to think of something that they need and then feel comfortable enough to ask what they need. But if you say, if, if something bad happened to, let's say, I don't know, man, you broke your leg. I'm like, hey, man, so sorry you broke your leg. I'm going to bring you a coffee tomorrow morning because I know it's probably the last thing you want to have to worry about is getting a coffee with a broken leg. I'll bring you Madcap tomorrow. Like That's an example of me taking the ownership and the initiative to help you out without having to put the onus on you to figure out what you need. Similarly, when you're calling into a client or you're walking into potential or into a boss's office, you would say, hey, I know that you're looking for someone like this because all of your competitors want this person and I have this person that's interested. Do you have, would you like to have a conversation to learn more about who this person is and what they can do for your business? That's way different than me saying, hey, X company, uh, how can I help you? What do you need? Right? Don't come to me with, with, with me having to do the work. If you really cared about me, you would know exactly what I need or you would be able to have, be thoughtful enough to think about what I need and just give it to me, which is and what even, I just even, did. Even, even if you were completely wrong, like, yeah. hey, Adam, I'm going to offer you this, you would, still take, you would still take value in the fact that they at least thought, hey, I don't drink caffeine. Yeah. You know, I appreciate the gesture though, but, yeah. uh, you know, would you be willing to pick me up from the airport sort of deal? You know, whatever that is, yeah. like. That, exactly. that opens the door. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I think that's phenomenal. Yep. Yeah, man. So talk to me about this interesting uh, transition of a leather company paired with executive recruiting. How man. does that happen? So, yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's the, probably the number one question I get. It's, uh, so what happened was I, st- I went to work for a search firm here in Grand Rapids. And I worked there for 18 months and I was good at it. And I was like, I'm not going to work for somebody else. I'm going to do this on my own. And I also like it. I would still be there if they ran the company, um, if they ran it better, if they had better leadership, if they had a better process, I would still be, if they paid people more fairly, I would still be there because it was great. I, you know, learned a lot. Um, but all those pieces are really important. And I was like, I, I can take some time. I have a non-compete. I can wait out my non-compete, work in other spaces and then come back to my non-compete in two years. So I resigned made them a lot of money in, a, in 18 months. I made good money in 18 months, resigned. Um, and I start working on other searches outside of my niche. I was doing insurance there. And so I start working on like, um, like digital marketing searches. I had Oracle was a client of mine, still is a client of mine, um, bigger companies, and then some higher ed stuff. And my old boss just decided to file a lawsuit saying I was violating when I compete, which I clearly wasn't. But in this industry, you have people that are, um, you you just get people that say, hey, you know, they're a little probably pissed off that you left and they're like, I'm not going to let you start your own firm and have it go really easily for you, which is not easy in the first place. But anyway, so he starts to file, he starts to have legal fees incurring and I have all this money saved up and that's starting to be chunk, chunk, chunk down with legal <laughs> fees and just lawyers emailing and whatnot. As a, so, uh, as, a, as a business owner, that chunk, chunk, chunk down is happening already. And just to add that on top is not a fun thing. Yeah. Oh, and I found out, I found out like maybe 
um, like three weeks after I resigned that my wife was pregnant. So that was another good, I, at the time I had a three-year-old, a one-year-old and, or a, yeah, three-year-old, a two-year-old. And then, uh, I found out we were pregnant again. So, so that was also chunk, chunk, even yeah. more. <laughs> yeah. And I was paying for, now I was paying for my own benefits and all this stuff. So, um, anyway, so he starts to sue me and my lawyer's like, listen, this isn't going to hold up. This guy's just being an asshole, but, um, you know, like, like, that you, but this, like either you respond or you don't, but he could, he could try to file an injunction, shut your company down, take you to court. During that whole time, I was looking for a leather bag that I like could carry to work. And I couldn't find anything that wasn't like, that was good. That was under a thousand bucks that I really liked. Um, and I was like, why isn't this in the, why isn't there space in the market for somebody that wants to drop two to 400 bucks on a, a really, really, really nice leather bag? Why isn't it there? So I started to do research and figuring out, Hey, this isn't, um, that difficult i could drop some designs on a napkin have prototypes made put them on a website um and you know operate on a back order and just say you know six you know six to eight weeks to be ready and then i would just place orders every week with these vendors that i found overseas and so that's what i did and i remember like our very first month we did four thousand our second month and i, I wanted to do like a thousand two thousand bucks a month i was like i do two thousand bucks a month that would at least get me like groceries and my health insurance paid for the month and it'd be fine and it'll, it'll get me through till my non-competes done first month we do four thousand second month we do twelve thousand third month we do twenty thousand first year we did well over half a million and i really spent no money on marketing i just it just started to take like some websites picked it up gq picked it up for like three days and had us on their homepage. um all these websites over the internet all over the internet started picking it up we started getting deals with like Huckberry and Touch of Modern and those kinds of places where that was a really fast way to accelerate our brand. So instead of spending money on marketing, I started spending money on these brand accelerators where I would take a lower price for my bag, sell them in mass quantities, get them out to you know 500 people in one week. And then they, people carrying these bags around are telling everybody they know about them. And we put like cool marketing pieces in there, like, like postcards or stories and essentially became an organic thing. And, you know, I operated, we operated both companies um, we had a storefront in Grand Rapids for a while, um, and we, you know, we're averaging anywhere four to six hundred thousand dollars in sales a, a year doing this, uh, just just with brothers. Um, so I started doing. I was operating both Brothers Leather and Harrison Gray, and I um, kind of hit this wall where I had to. I felt like I had to pick one because I wasn't able to be the biller I wanted to be at Harrison Gray, and I also felt like brothers took so much of my time from a uh, manufacturing we had to switch manufacturers a number of times we had to change we changed leather we had to have a whole I had to hire a design a designer to help me design these bags like when you when you get more sophisticated you need more you can, I can't just draw pictures on paper and send them you know email them over I have to like have actual designs and specifications that are engineered proof as well for like weight and all this stuff so it got really really complicated um and then about and this is so interesting I haven't really put this together yet in my head until I'm telling you the story but the guy who mentored me started buying some bags and he was like, man, you should like think about branding these things. You can make some money doing that. I was like, oh, so I started, I found out a way to brand bags and I bought a really nice brander and I found a company that helps me make the molds. And so then my business kind of became 50%, you know, B to C sales and 50% B to B. And now it's probably like 80% B to B because we have all these clients that want our, our lo their logos on journals, bags, wallets, belts, whatever, you know, you name it. Um, and we can do it. And then that that morphed into clients wanting custom products, so custom journals, custom bags, custom coasters, in huge quantities. 
um, and companies from like Amway to Bissell to Coors to um, to smaller mom and pop, um, you know, restaurants and small marketing firms throughout the country. So it's it's been crazy. So I've I've been able to really pull brothers back into more of like a mostly I'm doing mostly branding stuff. We still sell online. We have a website. Um, but mostly a, uh, custom order brand that can still do, you know, a few hundred thousand a year in sales. Um, we had one order this year that was a hundred thousand almost by itself. And then Harrison Gray, I've been able to spend way more time growing this spending, you know, I've already passed uh, this year. I've passed my personal revenue for last year in sales. So I've been able to spend way more time on Harrison Gray, which is what I really like to do and is more profitable for me and gives me more of the lifestyle I want to have. Um, but I would never recommend starting two companies within three months, which is what I did, but it really worked out, but I would never suggest anybody do that. It was really, really hard. Well, yeah, so. I mean, ultimately that, that was going to be one of my, one of my, you know, hit home questions is like, obviously you have had some amazing experiences and doing some awesome things and are fired up for what you do. But like, what about yeah. the season of life that you were like, I don't even want to get out of bed. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, that actually is, um, has, I, I'm not a person that like, there are days where I, you know, like anybody probably don't want to go to work that day as much as I did the day before. Um, but like, so I went through a period where I like face like long story short, I, I lost my mother really tragically back in 2011. Um, and I had, I was, I had a first marriage that ended like a year after that, um, outside of my control it was the other person's, it was, it was her decision, but so I had this like really tough 12 month span where I, you know, lost my mom out of nowhere and my wife leaves me um, and moves on. And so that was really difficult. I was still in Denver at that point in my life. And that was really difficult because I just really had um, no, I just didn't really, I was throwing myself in work. I was working 80 to 90 hours a week. It's probably why I was successful in Denver because I outworked everybody. Um, but at the same time, I was pretty empty and I, was pretty like cold inside and I didn't really have a life outside of work. I get home and I would work till like one in the morning and get to, and get into work at six 30. Like I just did that. That's what I did to keep myself busy. So it's not that I didn't want to get out of bed, but I just knew that I was getting out of bed to get to bed the next day is what I would say. I just was trying to like go, go through life that way. And then um, finally decided to talk to a, a counselor, a therapist for about a year and really pulled me out of some really tough spots. And then, now that season of my life really set me up for when I like, uh, you know, businesses have challenges. They have really high highs. They have really low lows, especially when you're running a business, as you know. Um, and like that, with that context of what I went through set me up for really solid emotional intelligence. Now, when something bad happens at work or something really tough happens, it really isn't that tough compared to like, you know, my wife now, who is actually my high school sweetheart, which is a long, long story um you know loves me a lot and we have an amazing marriage and my kids are really healthy and um, my dad remarried and my stepmom is fantastic and my she's a great grandma to my kids so there's a lot of good that came from that but like I, that was a really dark time and I don't know when I, I pray that I won't go through something like that again but if I do I know I can handle it and I know a more healthy healthy way to handle it so I don't know that I've never felt like I can't get out of bed or I don't want to get out of bed or I'm really just I'm not motivated. I've always been motivated, but I think like to answer your question, I maybe did it. It was like a reverse. I think I got out of bed just to get back in bed the next day to get there as fast as I could. Yeah, um, work work became uh, work became basically a quote unquote 
healthy escape uh, for yes. you with what you were actually dealing with. But truthfully, it wasn't. And it was more you just running away from probably whatever you had to deal with. Exactly. Exactly, man. So, well, I know, I know I'm sure not all that was easy to share. So thank you. I, I appreciate yeah. you. And it's a tough time, but obviously you came out and you came out on top and you're a good father and a good, good husband. And so that's, yeah, that's man. cool. That's appreciate powerful. that. It's just really, yeah. I think sometimes people shy away from like, you know, I could, I could give you 50 business stories where it was really a really tough situation and I didn't know how we get out of it and we get out of it. But I think that's just a real life thing that was completely out of my control. Um, but my response was not super healthy, but I also know looking back that like it could have been worse. And I also know that I had this like, per, I had this perception or I had this idea that like, I want to look at my life in 10 year increments instead of looking at my life. What does what tomorrow look like? So I would always ask myself, will I be proud of how I handle this 10 years from today? And which I'm almost coming up on. No, it'll be, it's, that was, that was like eight years ago or seven years ago. So, you know, I'm looking back on it and I can see that, you know, there were things that I would do differently, but ultimately I didn't like go off the deep end. I didn't quit my job and move to Nevada and Rome. I didn't like, you know, become a really bitter person. Um, I tried to move forward as best as I could and I was able to learn a lot through it. So I share that because I just think there's probably people who have been through similar or will be through something really hard. And I think it's important that you try to think about it in terms of, of, you know, this really sucks right now. This is really hard right now. But if I think about myself, what will Adam doubt 10 years down the road? Will he be proud of how I handled this today? And I try to think about that all the time. And I still think of, I still think about that in business today and in life today. But during that time, which was just, it felt like everything was crashing in over and over and over again. Um, I thought that was a really, you know, that's kind of how I framed it to myself to keep myself moving forward. I feel like the rest of the day I can run through a brick wall. That was that was, the, <laughs> that was selfishly the motivation I needed. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm so, really glad. so flip flip that and uh, yeah, sorry, I'm a little rattled by that. that. That's that's powerful stuff. So, so flip that and say, okay, you know what? Knowing you went through that about 10 years ago is what you said. Um, mm -hmm. What is it now that you've discovered? And maybe it was somewhat true back then, but even more so now after you've been through a tough time, like what, what is it that gets you out of bed the morning the most? And you feel like you're, you're hitting your stride for other people. Yeah, man. Uh, so there's, a, I mean, right now I have no choice because my kids are like jumping on me at six in the morning most days. So I have to get out of bed, but um, uh, they, you know, I guess, I guess what I, what I would say is like, I am really jacked up about the team that I have at Harrison Gray and um, the team we're building. We just made an offer to another candidate today who's starting with us uh, this week. So, you know, we've got people that really, I think, you know, for the first time in our company's history, I've got everybody here is, you know, as hungry as I am to be successful. Um, they want to be the best. Um, they believe in our, this idea that, you know, the next call can change your life that I'm going to do better today than I did yesterday. Um, I'm not afraid to make the next call. I'm not afraid to have a hard conversation. Um, and that, you know, we're stronger together than we are alone, than we are apart. And when you get people that kind of start to live out your, your values and your, your vision and start to shape that vision and shape the culture too, and what they bring to the table, it's very, very easy to walk into a place like that. And, be able to have a you know my team I could have a really hard conversation which I do and they don't look at me as like oh this is just this guy trying to make more money they're like he's really invested in us and he wants us to be successful and we want to be successful too 
So I think right now that'd probably be my answer is like, I've just got a really great team and I'm really like the company passed its 2018 revenue goals last week or revenue for all of 2018. We passed for 2019 last week. So in the first Congratulations week, Congratulations on that. Quarter, That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. So we've got, things are clicking, but, and it's not all about money, but I can just tell that the company is going in the right direction and our bottom line is starting to show it. Um, and so I think that'd be my answer today, but I've got, you know, I've got, three great kids. I've got a great wife. I've got really great friends. Um, you know, I, I invest in people who invest in me. And so there's just a lot of reasons. I, I li- literally have no, no complaints about anything ever these days. So, um, yeah, man, just like, it's just like, just like, I think too, like this is an exercise that I do is I write down every morning, three things that I'm ultra grateful for that, that day this morning and then at night I try to write down three things that I'm really grateful for and they, they're not like the weather the you know that beer I had for you know last night and you know I'm excited for my day like that's not what I'm grateful for you have to get for I'm really I'm really grateful that it was 95 degrees yesterday and it was it was cold for eight straight months or I'm really really grateful that me and my son got to go get ice cream together like really specific things you're grateful for and when you have a spirit of gratitude and you're always great even in tough times man and you're always grateful for some, you find six things a day you're grateful for, it will change your life, 100% guaranteed. You you won't be a complainer, you won't be negative, you won't be a. There's two types of people in the workplace: revenue inhibitors and revenue generators. You'll always be a revenue generator because you're positive, you're you have a good outlook, and you're thankful for what's in front of you. You're thankful for what you see every day, and um, so yeah, you live your life like that, man. You're gonna get out of bed ready to go every day. Love that. That's that's amazing. I mean, I was gonna. I, I feel like wrap it up, put it on a bow and just ship that off as a quote for people. Cause that's, that's powerful stuff. <laughs> so Thanks, yeah, well, first and foremost, thank you for giving me the uh, motivation that I needed for the rest of the day and the rest of the week and probably the rest of the year. Cause this has been fantastic, <laughs> but what, um, yeah, I guess, is there anything else you want to want to leave the audience with? I mean, that was already stellar enough. Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's a good place to end. I was just, I think the thing that, the overarching theme for me is that, um, you know, there, there's just something to be grateful for every day. And, uh, the other, the other thing I'd say too, is that, um, the gratitude plus a really strong work ethic, you'll be unstoppable. And you're, I don't think there's anything that can stop you. Um, just because those two, I mean, those two things lead to so many other things, self-awareness, emotional intelligence, um, strong production levels. Uh, and if you're not in a production role, but you're still like, processing paperwork as best you can every day like trying to get i know it's cliche but like and we hear it from like gary v's all, all these guys that you know say good things but say the same thing on over, over and over again they're all saying the same thing it's just like can you stay motivated to be better than you were yesterday and better yesterday doesn't necessarily mean like oh i only process 90 documents today and i did 100 yesterday it means like was your attitude better did you how was you how are you mentally today did uh, is your you know is your the spiritual part of you the mental part of you um you know, the, the part of you, like the soul of you, is that a healthy thing? Is that as healthy as it was yesterday? Is it even more healthy today? Are you working on those things? That, that, that breeds to a really successful individual in the workplace. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be production stuff, which is where I'm always focused because that's my role. That's the world that I live in. But um, yeah, man, I, I just think like if you're introspective and you're trying to be better every day and better could be look different for everybody else, but it's coupled with gratitude and hard work. I mean, good, like, no one will no one will stand in your way you'll you'll literally accomplish anything you want to good things will come that's to what i believe what. at least and you'll find you'll find people who want to see you win when you have an attitude like that 100 100 percent. adam 
Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. This was awesome. No problem, Matt. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it.